counsel is <clears throat> still the best counsel. I don't know what your eyes are on in your life, but if they're not on You know, America, America's having a hard time right now. Boy, how America would benefit from uh, people whose eyes were on the, uh, the lamb. I say that. And I hope you understand how much I don't mean whose eyes are on their way of thinking, not even their religious way of thinking. The difference is either Christ or there is no difference. The passage that John read this morning, I said to Silas when we were shaking hands, I said, uh, isn't that a wonderful, cheery passage that we read this morning? And it's not. But it's where we are in our study. We've reached James chapter 5. And what we're looking at is actually a continuation. So if you'd open in your Bible to James uh, chapter 5. It's a continuation of where we've been for, well, we've been teaching through the book of James. Again, each week as we get to uh, what we're seeing in chapters 4 and 5, you want to, uh, I want to, with all of my heart, Make sure that you understand the context of what it is that we're looking at. Why does God say these things? I'd like you to, uh, I'd like you to go back to chapter 3. I, I really, I, I, you know, it's, it's already quarter of, of uh, 12. So I want you to, I want to say a few things. I want to go back to verse th chapter 3, and I want to go to verse 13. And I want to read, I'm just going to read. I'm not going to say a lot about this. Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. If, if you don't take meekness of wisdom with you, you can be no help to the world around you. There are too many Christians in America who think that somehow we're supposed to be superior than the people that we live among. But we're not superior to them. We're saved. We do see things differently. We see different things than we did before we were saved. But you'll notice here that a wise man shows out of the good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. And then it goes on to say, but... And this is, this is, he's speaking to the church here. But if you have bitter envy and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, 
gentle and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your lusts that war in your members? You lust and you have not. You kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you have not because you ask not. You ask and receive not because you ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lusts. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Now I want to stop here for just a moment. Look up here. Now, you need to recognize, you need to understand, when you hear this phrase, ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is the enmity with God, you need to recognize in the context what this is saying. Do you understand? What this is saying is, if you manifest an attitude of haughtiness, arrogance, superiority, and selfishness in ministry, that's the friendship of the world. There's nothing about this passage that we're reading that has anything to do with what the world is doing in the way they're living their life. Do you understand? I've heard this passage quoted so many times. Friendship with the world is enemy with God, meaning you can't even talk to your coworker or something like that. And that's ludicrous. And it's wrong. This, this is what the world needs, is for you to be able to listen out of the good conversation Show your works with meekness of wisdom. The world needs meek, wise Christians. Not haughty, superior, separated by their own ideals Christians. There is a separation in Christianity. And it's a separation, it is a separation of righteousness, but not self-righteousness. Not I'm better than you, because we're not better than they are. We are indeed forgiven. We are new creatures, and I mean that with all my heart. And I thank God for those of you who are truly born again, truly forgiven. But understand who you were before you were saved, before you looked down at the person around you who isn't saved. But it goes on. Do you think that the Scripture says in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? This is a remarkable thing. When you, listen, hear me. Look, please hear me. Look up here. When your heart and mind and eyes turn toward the world and worldly thinking, the Holy Ghost within you literally is envious. Because what he says is this. It's the same thing we see God say to Israel in the Old Testament. Why would you do this? Why would you turn from me? Where have I failed you? Where have I ever done you wrong? Why would you turn from me? I love you. I died for you. I dwell within you. Why would you turn away from me? Why would you leave me? Why would you choose your way and their way instead of my way? Why? Why? But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh unto you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord 
and he shall lift you up. Speak not evil one of another, brethren. He that speaketh evil of his brother and judges his brother speaketh evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to judge and, excuse me, who is able to save and to destroy. Who art thou that judgest another? Go to now, ye that say, today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It's even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. For you ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. But now ye rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Go to now, ye rich men, weep and howl, for your miseries shall come upon you. Your riches are corrupted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver is cankered, and the rust of them shall be a witness against you, and, and, and shall eat your flesh as it were with fire." Ye have heaped treasure together for the last days. Behold, the hire of the laborers who have reaped down your fields, which is of you kept back by fraud, crieth. And the cries of them which have reaped are entered into the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. Ye lived in pleasure on the earth and been wanton. Ye have nourished your hearts as in the days of slaughter. Ye have condemned and killed the just. And he doth not resist you. Now, why such strong words? Now, if, again, we read, we, I read for a long time because I wanted you to be able to see this in the context, going all the way back to the difference between a wise man, a wise man who is working his works that God would have him to do in the meekness of wisdom, contrasted with everything that the world would do at church. Do you see what I'm saying? So now, who's God speaking to? I can't move around like I normally would because I took my mic off. <laughs> Who is God speaking to here? And the answer is he's speaking to the church. He's speaking to those who call themselves members of the church. Some of them actually are new creatures. Some of them are members of the church. Some of them actually are born again. Some of them attend church to go through religious ceremony and are not new creatures at all. And he's speaking to both of them as one group because what, he's, what is happening is this. What you'll find is when, when, when the church has enough carnal Christians in it, you can't tell the difference between that and the world anymore. And the church behaves itself like the world behaves itself. And, and there will be good, godly men and women who will make bad choices in their life from time to time, and they'll walk after the flesh instead of after the spirit. And when I walk after the flesh or you walk after the flesh, we behave very much like we did before we were saved. It's, it's not only unattractive, it's hurtful. It's hurtful to each other. It's hurtful to the testimony that God would have us to have in the community in which we live. And it's hurtful to our God who loves us and died for us. And so he wants to separate us from that. He wants to cause us to understand that this is not what he wants for us. Now, what I want you to do, if you will, just take, a, take your pen and go, in, and go uh, into your Bible and go uh, toward the end of chapter 4. And I want you to notice this. 
verse, starting in verse 11, in verse 11, just put a little line and put one. Just put one by speak not evil one of another. This is the beginning. The, the verse before that is humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. But then he's going to speak to three groups, one right after another. And he's going to be speaking to those, you know, six things does the Lord hate, yea, seven are abomination. And what's number one? A proud look. And we've talked about that a lot at our church. It's remarkable to me that churches are really upset about this sin or that sin, and yet somehow we excuse pride. And pride is the number one thing that God hates. But do you know what the seventh one is in that list? He that soweth discord among the brethren. He that soweth discord among the brethren. God hates pride, and pride leads to sowing discord among the brethren. So the three things that we're going to see here are the three things that God is, um, what the, the Spirit lusteth against. The Spirit is literally warring against these things in the church, does not want these things in the church. The first one is verse 11, speak not evil one of another. That's number one. The, 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 the second two both begin with the same phrase, go to now. One is in verse 13. Go to now, ye that say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a city and continue a year and buy and sell and get gain. Two, God is, God, God is against speaking evil of one another. God is against you planning your own life in arrogance. And number three, go to now, ye rich men, weep and howl, for your miseries shall come upon you. And number three, God is against those who love money in the church. Okay? Those are the three things that he's speaking against. Now, let me ask you this. This phrase, it's a strange phrase, go to now, go to now. It occurs one other place in your Bible, and it's a very important place, and it's very telling. Anybody have any idea where go to now appears before this in your Bible? It's in Ecclesiastes. Turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Okay, now, as you're turning back to Ecclesiastes, it will help you to think to yourself, okay, what's going on in Ecclesiastes? Who wrote Ecclesiastes? Solomon, right? Solomon wrote Ecclesiastes. Solomon, at the time he writes Ecclesiastes, is the wisest man. Listen, listen, we're talking about wisdom, right? In the context, in the book of James, we're talking about wisdom. The wisdom that's from above and the wisdom that's from the earth, yes? I do not know that anybody on the earth has ever been given more wisdom from above than Solomon. And yet, Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes is not walking in that wisdom. He's walking in his own wisdom, and he's going to confess that. You see what I'm saying? He's making, Ecclesiastes is the confession of the wisest man that ever lived, that if you have the wisdom of God and still choose your own wisdom, it's terrible. Let's look at it, beginning in chapter 2, verse 1. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 1. I said in mine heart, you're already in trouble, aren't you? Really? Right? You know, when I was a kid, there was a song, Follow Your Heart. And I thought, well, yeah, that's what we're always doing. We're always following our heart. Right? Follow your heart. You know, what's remarkable is this. You think, and your heart is really good at this, by the way. You think your heart is your best friend. I love you. Nobody loves you like I love you. Right? There was a, there was a commercial. It was a, it was a Christmas commercial many years ago. Uh, a Terrell Owens. I don't know if you guys remember, football player. And uh, it was, I can't remember what the commercial was about. I just remember this phrase that he used in the commercial. I love me some me. You know what I'm saying? 
And I thought, yeah, that almost anybody could make that commercial. I love me some me. You see what I'm saying? So here's the beginning of this. I said in my heart, now notice what he says, go to now. I will prove thee with myrrh. Therefore, enjoy pleasure. And behold, this is also vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad. And of myrrh, what doeth it? I sought in my heart to give myself unto wine, yet acquainting, my, yet acquainting myself with wisdom, and lay hold of folly, till I might see what is, the, what is good for the sons of men, uh, which they may do under the heaven all the days of their life. I made great works. He's going to go on and on and on. Now listen, look at me. Please hear me. Look at here. Look. You've, you're never going to be able to afford your plans to the degree that Solomon could afford his plans. What I mean by this is you're never going to be able to put as much of your will into your life as he was able to put into his life. And he put all that could be put into his will, and it failed, and it failed, and it failed. In fact, let's go on. This is, this is, this is his conclusion as he talks about, I did this, and I did that, and I did this. Look down at verse 17. Look down at verse 17. Same chapter. Just keep going. Down to verse 17. Listen to this. Underline this. Therefore, I hated life, because the work that is wrought under the sun is grievous unto me. For all is vanity and vexation of spirit. We were looking at this yesterday. If the men that were here yesterday for the men's prayer, we were looking at the fact that um, Samson, Samson who was meant to be a godly man, who was meant to deliver Israel, you just go read Samson's life. Samson is about as selfish a servant as there is anywhere. A mighty, power, literally, literally, a mighty powerful man, just whatever he put his eyes on and he wanted, he did that. And what it says is this, Delilah, the, the, the crowning jewel of all the women in his life, and there were a lot of women in his life, vexed him unto death. There are only a couple of people that talk about deep vexation. One of them is Samson. By the way, Samson is a righteous man, vexed. Can you think of another righteous man that's vexed? You find it in 2 Peter. The life is not in 2 Peter. The life is in the Old Testament. The life is in Genesis. Anybody have any idea who that is? Lot. Lot. Lot looked just like Samson looked, and Lot lost just like Samson lost. Do you see what I'm saying? Both of them, it talks about their righteous souls being vexed. What? By what? By ungodliness. Listen, hear me. There is, there, there is no advancement in the church, no helping others in the church through our arrogance, through our selfishness, through our pride. None, 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 none. If it, listen, please hear me. If it isn't a meek wisdom, it's an earthly, fleshly wisdom. Wisdom that is truly wise has no arrogance or pride in it, none. And God knows I did not understand this as a young man. I did not even understand this as a young minister. There can be no pride in the ministry, none, none. What do you have in your ministry that God didn't give you? If you have anything that's of any real good in any ministry you're involved with, it's a gift from God. And by the way, he could have given it to anybody, anybody. You are not special. You are not superior. You are not great. None of us are. Christ is superior. Christ is special. And Christ is great. And yet he humbled himself. He humbled himself. He, who thought it not robbery to be equal with God, because he is equal with God, made himself of what? 
No reputation. How many churches have people in it that want to be the person of reputation? Listen, listen. Do you have any idea? Listen. Do you have any idea what a shame that is to God? Do you have any idea how much it hurts the world around us? Because the world around us really believes that churches behave themselves just like the Moose Club or any other group of people that meet for whatever bizarre desire reason that they meet together. And that's not the case. It's not. Now, it is the case, unfortunately, in, in almost all churches to some degree, but it's not meant to be the case. What God is trying to do here is to set us free from this, either through those who are not even Christian, who are living in a haughty, superior way amongst us, or in our own hearts that we would turn away from these things and say, I do not want this anymore. I do not want my way anymore. I will not chase riches anymore. I will not plan my life anymore. And I will not speak evil of my brothers and sisters anymore. I won't do it. By the grace of God, I won't do it anymore. Because it is of no value to me, and it is certainly of no good to them. So, what's the point of this? And this is it. What is the point of this passage? Why is God, why am I warning us? In other words, why am I saying the things that I'm saying this morning? Now, in my case, I have this advantage. We just preach from one book to another, and then we start in verse 1 and we go through it. So you can't really say, well, preacher, what's wrong with our church that you decided to stand up this morning and yell at us all about this? And the answer is it's where we got to it when we were teaching through the book, right? So we're just looking. The, the, the whole counsel of God is wonderful. It really is. And so it is wonderful to be able to preach the word of God and not have to preach, well, what should I do to fix this anymore? Do you understand? You don't have to fix anything with your preaching. If you're fixing with your preaching, you're not preaching. You're opinionating. Do you understand? And God doesn't need an opinionator. He doesn't need that. Just preach what the passage says. Study what the passage says. Preach and teach through the book as God would have you to. This is what God would have for us. So, so why is he saying this? What is the warning here? Is God, listen, listen, hear me. Is, is James the human instrument that God used to pen this? Is he angry? He's not angry. He's not angry. He, let's, let's look at another passage. It'll help you. Go to 2 Corinthians. It'll be the last thing we look at together this morning. 2 Corinthians. Lord willing, it'll be the last thing we looked at together this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 20. Okay, 2 Corinthians, right? 2 Corinthians. So all of you that know your Bible a little bit, you say, okay, this is 2 Corinthians. So in 2 Corinthians, we're going to see the sufficiency of Christ in 2 Corinthians. But we're going to find out that the Corinthian church has not responded well to the rebuke that they were given in 1 Corinthians. Now, let me stop for just a second. Why is Paul rebuking the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians? And the answer is because they're selfish. Because they're selfish and carnal. Right? Listen, they are so carnal that their average guest speaker, meaning the person that stands behind the pulpit in the church at Corinth, might not even be saved. But they'll be smart. Boy, is that dangerous. It's dangerous enough to have a smart Christian preaching. It's even more dangerous when the person doesn't even know Christ is standing behind the pulpit. Do you understand? But all the Corinthians wanted to do is they want, they're a very wealthy church, very, very wealthy church. And by the way, one of the things he rebukes them for is you're a very wealthy church. You promised to give money to a church that has a great need, and you haven't even given them that money. Whereby the Macedonians, who have no money at all, they collected more money than they could possibly ever collect and begged me to take that money and help that other church. And the reason they did is because I told them what you guys were going to do, and you haven't even done it, and that's a shame. It's remarkable how selfish a church can become when it's about me, me, me. 
And it's indicated in the finances and it's indicated in the we want to hear this and we want to be that because we want our church to be known for something. If you understand what I'm saying, our preacher or our church or our this or God help us all. Our Savior. You want a glory? In fact, by the way, one of the few times the word glory in your New Testament is translated from the word brag or boast. It's in that passage. And it says, he that glories, he that brags, he that boasts, let him glory in the Lord. You should never boast. You should never brag. You should never be arrogant. But you want to brag about something? Brag about Jesus. Because he is worthy of you bragging about him. In fact, you can't possibly brag about Jesus too much. But if you start talking about your church, your, man, I'm telling you, it's a, it's a comedian. I can't remember which one now. But he talks about the me monster. You, me. You, me. You, me. See, that's how it goes. You start talking, but it's all about me, Right? God wants to rid us of all these things. And, 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 and so what we're going to find in 2 Corinthians is that Paul is still speaking to the Corinthian church. The Holy Ghost is still dealing with the Corinthian church about the same arrogance that they had in, in the first one. So let's go to chapter uh, two, uh, 1, verse 20. For all the promises of God in him, in the Lord Jesus Christ, are yea, and in him, amen, unto the glory of God by us. Now he which stabbeth us, with you in Christ, and hath anointed us is God, who hath also sealed us and given us the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. Moreover, I call God for a record upon my soul that to spare you I came not as yet unto Corinth, not for that we have dominion over your faith, but we are helpers of your joy, for by faith ye stand. But I determined this with myself, that I would not come again to you in heaviness. So what I want you to notice is this. He, the Corinthians have said, Paul wrote us a letter, and he told us to behave ourselves in a very real sense. But and this is, listen, I'm not exaggerating. You read these two epistles, you'll find this true. But you know what we notice about Paul? Paul is very, very weighty, very, very um, powerful, in fact, in his writing. Well, the reason for that is because it's the Word of God. But when he's, a, when he's around us, when he's here, and he's actually preaching, he's not even in the top ten of the preachers that come here. He's kind of, eh, he's kind of like John Crabb, you know? Just kind of nice, just kind of pleasant. Just always kind of preaching the same thing over and over again. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. We need more here at our church than that Jesus, Jesus, Jesus stuff. Really, this is what they're saying. They despise him because he is Christ-centered continually in love. They say it makes him weak. And this is, notice what he says. Oh, no, 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 no. I haven't come because I wanted to spare you. Because I don't want to come. It's so, it's so true. How many of you, listen, here, please hear me. How many of you want to walk into your children's bedroom and have to raise your voice? If, if any of you say, I, I, I kind of like it, well, you got a problem. We should, not, we should not love having to give any form, you know, if you keep doing that, you're going to have to, I'm going to take this away from you. This is, none of us should enjoy that. It should hurt. The, the phrase, is, this is going to, I, I literally said this to my son, Andrew, you know, Andrew, I so much don't want to do this. And Andrew said, I don't want you to do it either, dad. <laughs> In fact, he, I'm not joking. He followed up and said, I won't tell anybody if you won't tell anybody. <laughs> I think we fell, I think we followed through with it though. I'm pretty sure we probably did. The, the attitude of, I don't want to do this, should truly be the heart of every parent. I don't want to bring discipline into your life. I, I, I really don't. What I want for you, though, is better than this. 
I want better than this. See, the idea, what God wants to accomplish in our life isn't that we would toe the line or that we would behave under a microscope, but that we would love one another and that there'd be no arrogance in our lives. And see, the Apostle Paul is going to be used of, of God to come to the Corinthian church and have to rebuke them sharply. And he doesn't, that's what it, isn't that what it says, verse 2, chapter, chapter 2, verse 1? But I determined this with myself, that I would not come again unto you in heaviness. I don't want to come that way. So unless God makes me come, if you won't repent, I'm not even coming. Unless God makes me come. Because this is just like Jeremiah, right? Jeremiah's preaching uh, to, to the children of Israel, and he keeps saying, look, if you keep doing this, God's going to have to destroy us. If you keep doing this, God is going to have to destroy us. And all these other people are preaching nonsense. Oh, God would never destroy Israel. He loves Israel. We can do anything, any wicked thing we want. It's going to be just fine. Jeremiah, he's just, a, he's just a sourpuss. And Jeremiah literally says to God, you know what, I'm not going to tell him anymore. I'm just not going to tell him. I love him. These other people don't even love him. I love him. I tell them the truth, and they hate me. I'm just not going to tell him anymore. But then he goes on and he says, but it burned within me. But it isn't anger that burned within him. It was love for the Hebrews that burned within him. i got to tell them. They must know. They must repent. Right? And what is the book of Lamentations? The book of Lamentations is literally Jeremiah crying because God did what God said he was going to do because the people wouldn't repent. And yet it says in Jeremiah, great is his faithfulness. Great is his faithfulness. It had to happen. By the way, the people of Israel are going to turn. They're going to repent. And praise God for that. This is what God is wanting to accomplish here in this book. This is what God is wanting to accomplish in James. This is what God is wanting to accomplish in the churches in America. Please don't be selfish and worldly. Don't chase the world. Don't chase the world's wisdom. Now, what I want you to see is I want to close with this one verse. It's, in, it's a verse 24 of chapter 1. This is such a help to me as a, as a, uh, as a pastor. Not... For that we have dominion over your faith, but we are helpers of your joy. You need to underline that. Not that we have dominion over your faith, but we are helpers of your joy. Now here's what, this is what, this is, this is what we're seeing in James. This is what we see in Ecclesiastes. This is what we're seeing in Corinthians. This is all the same thing. If you have your way, you're going to be vexed. You may have pleasure for a minute, but you're going to have vexation at 2 o'clock in the morning just by choosing your way. But, but, if you'll repent and humbly say, Lord, I just want to do it your way. I just want to do it your way. I don't want my way. I just want your way. What will you have? What does this passage say? We are not here to lord over you. We're here to help you to have what? Joy. Real joy. Joy, there is no, listen, I'm telling you. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. That song only makes sense when you understand the biblical context to it. Do you understand? There's no way to have joy other than just to say yes to what God wants in your life. It's wonderful. Simple. simple. Very, very wonderfully simple. God wants to rescue us from all worldly, ungodly, devilish wisdom. And instead, he wants us to receive what he says in his word about it. But let me say this. If you're going to have godly wisdom, you will have joy. You will. But you're still going to have tribulation. You know, it's funny. John James was teaching in the Sunday school class this morning about Nebuchadnezzar building his uh, big old statue and then saying, if you don't bow down to the statue, which seems to look a lot like me, you know, if you don't bow down to the statue, I'm going to throw you into the fiery furnace. And he said, if you look, now look, if you look at their response, listen, hear me, please hear me. There are times in your life when you'll have to, quote unquote, take a stand. 
But if you look at how those three men, those three Hebrew men, took their stand, there's no arrogance in their stance. None. There's no pride in their stance. There's nowhere better than you are in their stance. There's just, we can't do that. We can't. We can't do that. Because we can't bow down because that's not a real God. We love our God. Our God is real. And by the way, they, they, they say it like this. We're, we're not nervous about this. We don't have to think a long time about this. We're not going to bow down. You might see God deliver us. You might not see God deliver us. But God's going to deliver us. You throw us in the fire, we might die just like that. That's fine. You throw us in the fire, we might not die. I don't know how that's going to work, but we might not die. and You might get to see it. But I promise you, our God is God. But there's no arrogance in that. There's just a joyful confidence in the God that they serve. That's what God wants in our lives. If you ever, and you will, have to take a stand, when you have to take a stand, it's not, well, you know what we believe in our church? Bless God. Nobody in our church does these terrible, nasty, rotten, whatever they are things. We're just arrogant jerks. And that's what God wants, after all. But it isn't what God wants. What he wants is humility. Yes? He wants a humble wisdom in our lives where we simply say, look, I, I don't know everything. But God makes this pretty clear. And I just have to do what God says here. And I'm glad to do it, by the way. He loves me. I mean, really loves me. I can't tell you guys the joy that I have. And just I'm really, honestly, you know, it's funny. I'm going to do Bob Bornfleth's funeral tomorrow. Say, 31 years ago. I'll tell you what. When I was a baby Christian, Christianity was really simple. You know what made it hard? I made it hard. I made it hard. I made it hard... And wanting to be a somebody made it hard. But I'm telling you, Christianity is easy. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. It's just that simple. And I'm glad to be forgiven. And I don't want to hurt anybody else anymore. No more pride, no more, no more arrogance, no more fighting, no more fussing. As much as is in me is, as much as in you is, live peaceably with all men. When they tell you you have to do something that's actually immoral, something that's actually wrong, all I have to say is, I just can't. Not, I won't. I'm bigger and better and stronger than you are. You're not. I promise you, when the world wants to make you do something, they'll make you do something. Unless Jesus is going to give you deliverance from it. And guess what? If Jesus will defend you, you don't have to defend yourself. Amen. You can be just as meek and quiet. I, I just can't do that. Sir, I'm sorry, I just can't do that. Well, then we're going to have to arrest you. If it, if it comes down to that, sir, you can arrest me. I'm not going to fight with you. I'm not going to argue with you. I'm not going to hurt you. I understand. I understand that I'm disobeying your law if, you're, if you have to disobey their law. But never. So I tell you, it's real, I mean, I don't want to get into this too much, but it's amazing to me that all these very educated, wise, noble, better than everybody else people who lost their election are behaving like animals right now. I don't understand it. You know, again, you know, one of the things, I'm not a... I'm not a, uh, a Trump supporter. I'm just not. I, I think Trump's a very arrogant man who's said and done some things that he shouldn't. He won the election. You know, I don't, I'm not particularly fond of Obama when he won the election, if you understand what I'm saying. But there's no reason to take to the streets for any of this. No, nobody's rights have been violated. Nobody's been hurt by any of this. You just lost. You're just acting like a four-year-old. You know what I'm saying? And I'm, I'm not saying that with any mean spirit. I'm not, not at all. But you and I, you and I, cannot look down. Listen, you have to understand, how much hurt do these people have that they feel they have to get together and march about it? Do you understand what I'm saying? And do you think that you and I are going to help them from our ivory tower of Christianity? Or do you think that Christ would have us to help them by actually helping them? By being able to, you don't have to agree with what they're marching about, not at all, but you cannot be arrogant and haughty about it. Do you understand? This is not the wisdom that's from above, right? The wisdom that's from above is first, first what? 
pure. It has no mixture. Praise God, it has no mixture. But the, what's the very next thing? It is then what? Peaceable. Peaceable. That's, that's simple. Again, you know the funny thing about peace? You can have peace by just putting your hands quietly in front of you and not raising them up. You can have peace. They can beat you to death, and you can still be peaceful about it. You understand? It's only when you raise your hands that, it, that, that you become what God would not have you to become. Do you understand? You don't have to defend yourself. Listen, listen. If you're truly a new creature, don't defend yourself. And I promise you, Jesus doesn't need you to defend him. I promise you, he doesn't. Walk with him. Walk with him. Help your brothers. Help your sisters. Help your neighbors. Help your coworkers. Be a blessing to them. Be the man of God that God would have you to be. Be the woman of God that God would have you to be. This is what we're seeing in the book of James. Yes, this is what we're seeing in the book of James. This is what God wants to do. We're in the last chapter of the book of James. Again, the whole point of the book of James is that that great high priest that's in the book of Hebrews pouring out a whole new quality of life into your everyday life. If your everyday life is not being changed, you don't have Christianity. Because Christ changes your everyday life, not your Sunday mornings. Do you understand? If your everyday life, if all of your circumstances are not being overruled by the grace of God, then what you have is some kind of a uh, false Christ. Because the true Christ gives peace in the midst of the storm, not just in the absence of it.